Hello, player one. Welcome to the Gaming History Club. My name is Gabby. Hello, and I'm JP. In today's episode, we will be asking the very important question, just who exactly plays video games? people have always played games. We can even trace it back to 6000 and 3000 BC, apparently, and that's a long time ago. Yeah, right? so Mancala, for example, that's mm -hmm. from 6000 BC. That's the oldest game um, that is still being played today. Yeah. Uh, which is the oldest game that people still play today. That one comes from Africa. Mm -hmm. um, then there's also Senate. Uh, Senate can be traced back to around 3000 BC at least. And that one is the oldest board game. But I don't think they know how that was played. Ah, has they it don't... been lost in history now? It has been lost to history, yeah. Similar to very early chess as well. Um, they don't know how that was actually played because chess evolved from like different uh, game actually as well. Ah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we can safely say people have always played games in some form or another. But luckily, video games is not that old, so we can probably ask that question. Who plays video games and how did we get to where we are today? Because we can trace it back to the first video games. Let's take a general ride through first and just uh, uncover some little bits. And then we can look into the more demographics of it, the, the areas, so gender, age, those kind of things. We'll delve into more detail in those after we've given a brief overview. Yep. So, there was a time before video games. Very sad, I know, but 1971 is where we first had our first arcade cabinet, the first game available to the public that was computer space. So obviously, there were some people who played games before those games. The people making the games and the true technology aficionados. So we can safely assume that those would be people like Slug or Willy, if you remember those two from of our course. previous episode. Yes. Yeah, History of the Arcade. So we can safely assume it was predominantly white male adults with a certain amount of disposable income, and they would be clustered into universities and uh, laboratories, mm -hmm. like computer tech laboratories, that kind of thing. Because back then, home computers weren't a thing. They were so expensive, they were so big. You wouldn't even have had the chance to, to play them anywhere outside of these places that could afford them. I mean, they cost hundreds and thousands of dollars back then. Yeah, I think those machines wouldn't fit in a regular house as well, would it, actually? Mm. So this is actually where a lot of the stereotypes already come from. It was the people who were involved in tech before they were available to the general public. No one had a computer yet. Barely anyone was using any sort of electronic device at all, really. Atari's earliest cabinets, before they were put into the arcades, there was a brief period of time where they were focused around bars and nightclubs, mm -hmm. especially around universities, because those would have the people that are mostly interested in the video games as well, anyone into computing technology. They weren't so afraid to actually try them out. They weren't so alienated as other people to actually have a go at computer space and Pong. So for a little while, there's still very much this male adult oriented kind of theme for who plays video games because then similar places where there's p 
pinball, mm-hmm. you know, bars, nightclubs. There's, there's not going to be many kids around there, hopefully. I don't think they were, they were associated with like family friendly whatsoever around that time. Yeah, no, absolutely not. But that was only for a brief period of time. Um, in 1972, same year as Pong actually came out, Magnavox Odyssey released the first home console, the Magnavox Odyssey. Sorry, <laughs> the, the Magnavox company made the Magnavox Odyssey, yes. which was the first home console. <laughs> yeah. So um, very interesting. They were actually some of the first people uh, to really try and break that kind of barrier between that link between university male students and yeah, the whole family uh, branch mm-hmm. out. And you can see that in their marketing material as well. If you are super interested, go go take a look. Google Images, Magnavox Odyssey, and a lot of their flyers, posters, advertising. You will usually see like a group of family members sitting around a TV and playing the Magnavox Odyssey. And they actually had some early success with that as well. Once the Atari cabinets finally made their way into actual arcades, very quickly we start to see an explosion though of what kinds of people play games. Very, very quickly, it was all types of people, all types of ages. Anyone with a spare quarter may have very well played a video game then at that stage. Yeah, because at that time it's also made well widely available, also widely yeah, let's not affordable. For- yeah, yeah, totally. If you remember from our arcade episode, we discussed how it wasn't just arcades. We call them arcade machines. I think technically we should call them cabinets. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. those those arcade machines, if you remember, they were in uh, supermarkets, sometimes dentist offices. They were everywhere, right? And so obviously. A lot of people very suddenly played these video games. It wasn't so much more, you know, the university students only, very quickly, all sorts of people. Yeah, that's true, especially the golden era of the arcade during 78, like Space Invaders, until 83, when basically arcades was, you know, crashing, peaking and crashing. (laughs) The Atari shock, as they call it in Japan. Oh yeah, the Atari shock, yes, that's true. Um, They definitely stood out for bringing games to a wider audience. I guess previously games centered heavily towards male-oriented games like shooting, racing, fighting. That's probably the more earlier games that we saw. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, everything before Space Invaders very heavily focused around those three themes you mentioned. And space. And sports, actually. Oh, yeah, and sports. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, very much so, yeah. Uh, And we started to see games catering towards women. Noteworthy examples like Pac-Man, which were designed specifically with intention to appeal females. Apparently, it's because female likes eating yeah. <laughs> and likes sweet stuff. <laughs> definitely a stereotype, but it's true for you. You do like food, definitely. Yes, we talked about this in previous episodes. <laughs> We've established that I do love food. So thank you, JP, for reminding me that. Yeah, and also Centipede was very popular with females. The game was programmed by Donna Bailey. One of few women in the game industry around that time, especially, and one of the only one with experience in assembly language programming at that time. Yeah, so she she half-programmed Centipede. And I want to believe that that is a reason that it was so popular with females. Not because they knew a female made it, or part made it, but because she was a little bit more aware of, you know, how to cater towards a wider audience than just, yeah, uh, space shooting, fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, makes sense. And also Japanese games and the influence of their themes and style heavily shaped the perception of games. 
A lot of them are more cartoonish, you know, like mascots like Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, Popeye, Frogger. All of them have like characters that's more interesting rather than you're just spaceship number one. Yes. I guess Nintendo played a big part in that while bringing all of those more lively characters into their games. They were definitely one of the contributors uh, looking at Donkey Kong. But yeah, they the Japanese brought that kind of to us, the, the cartoonish uh, mascots. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I think the Japanese influence that they had on the arcade games very much shaped that kind of feeling of like it's it's going more towards a kid audience uh, if we look at the nintendo um that came out just after the crash mm-hmm. of 1983 or the atari shock nintendo's nes was the most successful console of that generation so a lot of their games always had that kind of very family friendly all ages involved games so Donkey Kong, Super Mario, Yoshi's Island, the list is endless. Yeah. Yeah, we all we all know Nintendo games and they've they've always been known for that. And I think that is where a massive uh shift towards the stereotyping comes from where games are for kids. Although that was never true to begin with. It's just so happens that Nintendo was the most successful console in that generation. And I think back then I've heard from other people tell me that they would call consoles Nintendos. Like, do you have a Nintendo? Even if you've got a Sega, someone would be like, oh, are you enjoying playing Nintendo? Like, that's just how popular the NES was at the time. Might be a bit painful for Sega fans right now to hear this. (laughs) Bless them. (laughs) Yeah. But the stereotype was never true even back then. Obviously, in the early 80s, we had uh, Roberta Williams with her uh, Mystery House games coming out. So... Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, those were for the PC, but yeah, you, you got like murder mystery. I mean, very serious uh, thriller themes. Maybe not something you want to allow your kids to play, even though the graphics shouldn't have made it too troublesome, if I'm being honest. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't think so either. Also in general, I mean, it, it gets, um, there's, there's a lot of different kind of uh, things involved here. So a lot of the time it was skills, reflexes. Um, but then, you know, uh, with the computer games, you're using your intellect a little bit more as well, solving puzzles, uh, strategy games as well, RPGs, very number heavy. So I, I just want to mention that because different people like different things about gaming. Yeah. Not, not everyone plays skill games, Call of Duty, and not everyone plays strategy games where it feels like you need a spreadsheet just to play the game. But you always make spreadsheets for everything, so I'm not going to be surprised, actually. Spreadsheets are a very important facet <laughs> okay. of life. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, since the video game crash, games have consistently become more mainstream and more inclusive for all types of people. There was a few pitfalls that we will discuss more thoroughly, but ever since then, we've definitely been on the right track to allow as many people as possible to enjoy the beauty of video games. Yeah. Let's take a look at this demographic of people who play games in a little bit more detail. Sadly, actually, female gamers were much fewer than males when video games started. Some of those reasons are self-inflicted by the industry themselves, but there were also social reasons. The industry suffered heavily from gender stereotyping. I guess that's what we were talking about before, how arcade cabinets used to be placed in so-called seedy places like bars nightclubs yeah i think you could say at the start it was Mm -hmm. very much that 
games were made by males for males, yeah. or, or at least mostly. It was mostly males made mostly for the males. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and women were underrepresented, and when they are represented, they are often represented as damsel in distress. So it's even reinforcing more of the stereotypes of women being weak and only playing as minor side roles. Apparently, we were just NPCs, basically. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Though damsel in distress, so we're thinking like Peach, basically. Like, she only is there because you need a point to play the game. Uh, yeah, just just something in the story like, oh, yeah, you got a girlfriend. Uh, she's missing. Yeah. Go get her. Loads of games. Yeah. Loads of games did that. Uh, Double Dragon is another one that instantly comes into my mind. But, yeah, loads. Uh, Dams under stress, very, very bad stereotype. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I'm really happy with the newest um, Mario movie, how Peach was actually portrayed as a, this warrior. Princess. I remember talking to you about that when we yes. watched the movie, how it was really refreshing take on Peach, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Smart move from Nintendo to be aware of Peach's stereotype, what, what she kind of portrayed, yeah. and to kind of flip it around for the movie. It was a great movie. I, Oh. Yeah, right. I thoroughly enjoy that. It's, it's great. Women were often prominently sexually objectified as well when they do play larger or protagonist roles. And that's something we will look deeper into. So we're thinking Lara Croft, basically. Yeah? When you do get to play as a woman, she has to have huge triangles where her chest is supposed to be. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, in a 2005 study, it was found that over 80% of women in video games were either sexualized scantily clad or underdressed, or just a vision of beauty. Furthermore, 2011 study found that hypersexualization of characters in RPGs negatively affects gamers who deeply identify with their avatar. It incorrectly reinforces the idea that a woman's power in game and in real life comes entirely from her sexuality only. I can identify with this um, because of the uh, deeply identifying with the avatar. I, I get that from, I mean, my male perspective, mm -hmm. I suppose. Like, I also um, want my character sometimes, uh, over times I do it completely differently, but most of the time I want my character to look very similar to, to me, mm -hmm. right? So if I currently have long hair and a beard, I'll try and see if I can have him kind of look like that. I guess the, the point here is that in many RPGs, you, you are forced into like a sort of shape or size. Yeah. Um, especially kind of like um, the, the Japanese RPGs you see it like advertised a lot, like yeah. on, on... Very certain images, isn't it? Yeah, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very specific, very specific. Either, either skinny with a heavy, heavy top, heavy bottom. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Sure. Although on a more positive note, a uh, 2016 study of 571 games released between 1984 and 2014 found that this sexualization of women was at its height between 1990 and 2005. So we are going to the right direction. It's still around, but we are going to the right direction. The worst is over. The worst is over. Yeah. yeah. Something else that happened in the 90s is which also reinforced negative stereotyping is that there was a lot of games made specifically for girls. So they also had the idea of like, hey, 
we could make more money and sell more games if we just capture all these people who aren't playing games yet. And girls were a massive part of the non-gaming audience. And so they were making games just for girls specifically, which is also a no-no if you ask me, because it would, they were all pink, they had ponies, they had themes of gossip, relationships, and makeup. It just reinforces that bad stereotype. And um, they weren't particularly successful with girl games either. And that's why they exist to a much lesser extent now these days as well. Although if you do look on your Play Store, um, you, you will still find loads of them, sadly. Yeah, I guess a lot of them also limit the reach of the games themselves because they're also depicting those games as non-male video games then. Precisely. What what message does it send to, to girls if you say, this is a game for you, it's a girl game? Mm -hmm. That implies that the normal games aren't, aren't for you. Aren't for you, exactly that. Yeah, so that's a really interesting point. Another study found that females appear to avoid games where the women are depicted in a negative light. Uh, so they definitely don't want to take part in that negative stereotyping. A 2017 survey found that more than 250,000 gamers found that 69% of match freestyle games, such as Candy Crush Saga, are female. And also 69% of family or farming simulator game gamers are female. Huh. Yeah, okay. basi basically Farmville. Candy Crush Saga and Farmville. <laughs> basically those two, yeah, girls got it hands down. <laughs> yeah, probably true. Although it does kind of reinforce my point that like, you know, Candy Crush Saga and Farmville were not made specifically for women, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But women are the largest audience for those games, meaning just make good games at the end of the day. Also interesting to note is that these are quote-unquote casual games mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. According to another survey from 2016, male and female motivations when playing games are quite different. So females scored the highest and higher than males in completion. So they want to find all the collectibles uh, in fantasy, but not fantasy as a genre. We're talking about uh, immersion and exploration and design and community and story, which... I feel like I feel like I'm a little bit feminine when it comes to like <laughs> what I enjoy <laughs> in now, video that's games. That's probably my influence, to be honest, because I'm always like, no, be a completionist. Come on. I read this and I'm thinking Hogwarts Legacy, you know. Um, when we played Hogwarts Legacy, if you remember, I was the one who's a lot more obsessed with finding all of the collectibles and all of the secret passages. What are you up to now? What are you up to now? <laughs> 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 and you are the one who's focusing more on like developing the combat and stuff. But yeah, this could be another reason why females were slower to pick up video games as a hobby. So a lot of them were skill focused, mm -hmm. reflexes, shooting themes. Yeah. Um, there wasn't as much around in terms of like actual content in mm -hmm. games. Yeah. Again, that's the stereotype. Mm. I think a lot of it is also that like uh, females are much more involved with technology than they used to be too, though. Yep. So we've got more females making these games as well. So it's less from males for males. Yep. And it's it's um, it's it's a little bit more balanced. equal now, a little bit more balanced now. That's true. If you imagine back in the seventies in the university where they 
created all of these early games, probably there were not many females in that community. No, so I don't know. That One makes sense. Uh, exception to that, though, is the uh, early switchboard uh, people. You know, when you call and you they oh, connect yeah. you? Sure. Like those, mm. those were like a lot of females. Um, yeah, which is also a very technological job, definitely. That's uh, true. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it was a bit more than just putting one wire into another wire. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess not so much into the developing part of it, though. In no, technology. no, that was very male. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. The gender ratio between male and female players today globally is very close to 50-50. So that's good news. We are getting a lot more balanced. The popularity of casual games because of our beloved smartphones and Nintendo Wii. Mm. that came in the late 2000s, helped to capture and introduce more females into gaming. Yeah. Because you don't actually have to have a console or a PC or an arcade cabinet to be able to play games. It's a lot more casual. Yeah. A study from the UK actually found that there were more female players than male players in the UK in 2014. So that's really interesting. It's very left field that comes out of nowhere, like, hey, there's actually more females. Mind-blowing a little bit when you consider the stereotypes, yeah. But that's only for one year, though, because I think the year after that, the balance tipped towards Back to 50-50. Back to more 50-50, tiny bit more into the male gamers, yeah. How about we move on to another big one, uh, age. Let's talk about age for a little bit. As we discussed briefly before in our more general overview, there was a big stereotype that games are only for kids, but that has become even less true than it has been at the start. And I mean, it was never true to begin with, but it's even less true now. Yeah. Yep. Perhaps the social stigma from the earlier days of gaming played a role in this as well, where if you believe that games are only for kids, you may want to stay more clear from games or at least lie and say you don't play games. So it might be skewing numbers a little bit because perhaps we were all secretly playing Mortal Kombat, even though most people would have said it's only for kids, Yeah. which I disagree. You you shouldn't take out other people's spinal cords. That's not a good message for kids. <laughs> DSA from the US says that the largest age group of video game players are between 18 and 34 years old. That is about 34%. And only 24% are 18 years or younger. That means 76% of gamers in the US are adults. And globally, it's even bigger. 80% of gamers are older than 18. In Europe, for example, 23% of gamers are over 45 years old. Almost a quarter of all gamers. And every other European plays video games. One out of two from us plays video games. I'm proud of that. Go on Europe. Children and kids between the ages of 6 and 14 only make up around 18% of gamers. So yeah, definitely not just for kids. Yep. But I mean, how could you even assume that these days when like the biggest games are like Call of Duty and GTA anyway? Yeah, and also average age of video game players have actually been consistently rising. They certainly have. Yes, right now we are at uh, 35 years old average. So closer to our age we're not even 35 no yeah that's right we are not the average player one perhaps whoever's listening to us is also older than us do you think that's because they grew up with all of the arcades early video games so they've always 
known video games from like the beginning of it. It must be. It it was always a part of their lives. Yeah. Let's talk about another part of the demographics of people who play video games. Let's talk about the socioeconomic status of gamers. So how much money you had available in order to play games, yeah? Because that's going to be a big factor in whether you are able to play games or not, especially at the start of video games. So if we take a look at arcade cabinets, for example, yeah? Cost a quarter to play a game, mostly. There was some, like, fancy Laserdisc games mm -hmm. where it was 50 cents. I think Dragon Slayer was the first one to do that. Yeah. Um, but mostly it was always a quarter, right? Doesn't sound like a lot, but if you keep in mind inflation, that's almost $2 in today's money. And that's for, like, one attempt. That's unless, true. Yeah, one unless, time playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're, like, freelance or whatever. Let's not get too, too in-depth into that. But, yeah, <laughs> for, for, like, maybe... What's the average time playing on a quarter? Like, depends how good you are. But let's say it's, like, five minutes. So $2 for five minutes. Yeah, that that's quite expensive if you think about it. Imagine, like, how much money you'd spend just playing arcade for an hour. Let's look at the cost of some other things. So the Magnavox Odyssey, the first home console that came out in 72, that cost $100 when it came out. That is $700 in today's money. And the Atari 2600, wow. So that was $920 in today's money. But most of the games were averaging out at around $100 per game as well. Uh, that's actually quite hard to... Um, get a good grip on how much Atari games cost back then. It's it's hard to find the exact number. Um, I think that it, there wasn't like a, a normal kind of cost to, to Atari games. It just kind of depended. You'd also obviously need a TV, and that would cost you at least $2,000 in today's money as well. So what I'm trying to really get at here is if you wanted to be gaming back then, you needed to invest in gaming specifically in order to play video games. It's not like now where you have nothing, but you just so happen to have a laptop or computer lying around, or you got your smartphone and you can play some games on that. No, like if you wanted to play back then, it would take a lot of money in order to be able to do that in the first place. Yeah, I guess prices for keeping up with latest AAA games or newest console and great specs of PCs to be able to play Starfield, for example, it hasn't changed too much nowadays, but it's the alternatives that you can get from other form of technology that allow more people to be able to play quality video games, either by playing from previous generation consoles, for example, or you can play with your smartphones. Because computing has improved and integrated so heavily into our daily lives now that a lot of platforms will be able to cater towards video games. With smartphone, for example, out of human population of 8.1 billion people on Earth, 5.2 billion own a smartphone. So that just proves how that many people are actually able to access video games. They're minutes away from opening the store and downloading some free-to-play game. Exactly. It doesn't mean that they all play video games, but the availability for you to play video games, definitely a lot. Yeah. wider on, on non-gaming devices mm -hmm. but yeah back in mid-70s home computers weren't a thing yet there, there is if you want to play games you need this device that only does video games to put it into perspective the cheapest way to play a game assuming someone has no device at all but have access to electricity or batteries at the very least is around 10 bucks which will buy you a handheld console 
preloaded with 80s and 90s games classics. They call it the 500 in one handheld console. Yeah, you can find these on on eBay. Um, yeah, not sure exactly how super legal they are. It's certainly legal for you to purchase it from eBay. But yeah, so it comes with like the kind of Nintendo, Game Boy, Sega classics. Um, yeah, yeah $10, $10 they'll cost you. Yeah, and I can't imagine that to exist, let's say, 30 years ago, to only spend $10 to play a game. That's just, yeah. Unreal, unheard unreal. of. Yeah. It like a like a game would have cost you at least ten dollars if it's like some on a flea market, yeah. some some old Game Boy cartridge, yeah. And that's the cartridge, and we're talking about a device here. Yeah, it yeah. actually is the device. Everything you yeah. need to play games, ten bucks, and you even get five hundred games with it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about race, ethnicity, nationality. Where in the world are you from, and do you play games? So, research has shown that the stereotypical image of a gamer is a white male, but the reality of the situation is much, much more diverse. One interesting thing we found out amongst minority communities coming from the US is that the popularity of games changed significantly for minority communities over a short period of time. In a 2009 study, they found that 73% of white parents said that their children played video games compared to 26% of non-white parents. But the 2015 result showed that 83% of black teens and 69% of Hispanic teens played video games, while white teens remained almost at a very similar level than previously at 71%. Among adults, another study from 2015 found that over half of black and Hispanic adults play video games, but only 11% of black gamers and 19% of Hispanic adults identified as gamers. By some calculations, minority groups in the US will be the majority of players before 2030. So let's discuss some key contributing factors of how the demographics of gaming exploded to encompass a lot more people from all walks of life. So. Computer technology and video games have a very symbiotic relationship, a positive one at that they greatly benefit each other. Mm -hmm. Their history, development and adoption by humans go hand in hand. As a matter of fact, more people have consistently adopted home consoles into their households than PCs. It might be able to be said that thanks to video games, we are much more willing and happy to adopt technology as part of our normal lives because we've been introduced to it by video games. The internet played a huge role in exploding the demographics of video gamers. Now playing together with or competing against anyone in the world at any time, it takes a matter of minutes. I think another really interesting um, thing to mention here, which goes hand in hand with internet, but also really important is that now you don't need to hog the telephone line anymore if you want to play games. That's true. You can just do it at your own pace and you're not affecting anyone else. Also Wi-Fi, because now you don't even need the cable going into your console anymore. And I think that generation of consoles was um, the first one that really made internet a big thing as well. So PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, Nintendo Wii, they were all Wi-Fi enabled. Um, and they really... Um, made it a lot more popular for people to play online as well. Whereas before then, it was just a luxury for 
PC gamers, really. Yeah, and I think that allows people to be able to play multiplayer games without being in the same room. So back then, if we were talking about playing Counter-Strike, where everyone is connected through LAN, but now you can just play in a different part of the world and actually be in the same virtual room, basically. Yeah, you also find your community that you want to be a part of. So if you're really into role-playing games... Uh, say you you can play World of Warcraft and then and enjoy that community not just by playing the game online, uh, but also with their forums, their Discord servers, watching YouTube videos of just World of Warcraft. Again, it's it's the beauty of the internet. Like-minded people are very quick and easy to find. Another key contributing factor is the massive popularity starting around the mid two thousands with smartphones and the Wii. Of course, the more casual games, right? Yep, that's true. I guess those kind of games, like playing games on your smartphone or Nintendo Wii, allowing people who are not as skillful, like when you say about skill and reflexes before, to be able to play video games because they're a lot more easy to understand, easy to do. Yeah, especially with smartphones where it won't cost you anything to at least give her a try. Yes, because you can very easily and very quickly downloading those games. Yeah, even if it's like uh, chess, for example. Like, that's not a video game, but you, you can play it online against other people, just just smartphone up. Yeah, that's true. Another thing is it's the gateway, hopefully, for many people where they haven't played video games, not interested. Maybe they label it as something that is for other people, but not for me. You know, they try a casual game and all of a sudden Candy Crush Saga turns into Tetris. Yeah. Turning into Minecraft. Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Getting more and more into it. Mm. We'll also link a very interesting research conducted by Adrian Shaw, an American game study scholar and associate professor at Temple University in the Klein College of Media and Communication. It's called Do You Identify as a Gamer? Gender, Race, Sexuality, and Gamer Identity. In her research, Shaw talked about how people who play video games identify themselves as gamer, also in relation to all of those that I mentioned before, like gender, race, sexuality, um, because apparently they do overlap. So definitely read into that. The article is written by Rebecca Strang for ToPlaceHuman.com. So she wrote this as a response to the research itself. It's a really interesting read, so definitely go there. We'll link that in the description. So, to conclude everything, the question is, where are we today? Where are we today? Yeah, I guess a lot of stereotypes have been myth-busted, and the number of people playing games is only increasing, which is good. It's a good thing, right? Massively increasing. It's it's incredible, actually. Let us know how we are doing today. Come on, let's <laughs> throw some stats at me. Right. So as of 2023, there are 3.24 billion gamers worldwide. That's out of a total population of 8.1 billion people. The number of gamers really exploded in the last 15 years. In 2008, there were 1 billion gamers. And in the past seven years alone, there has been an increase of 32%. That is a lot. Yeah, in seven years, yeah. Wow. That is unreal. 
When I was younger, yeah, Super Nintendo, maybe Game Boy. You know, I don't know how many Game Boys were sold, but it wasn't like 30% of the population or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jesus. No, definitely not. It feels like with smartphones made that a lot more possible to reach that number. Yeah, but here at Gaming History Club, we don't care if you're a casual gamer, you're a hardcore gamer. If you play games to us, you are a gamer and you are player one. The average age of video game player is also only increasing. As we mentioned before, as the kids growing up with Atari, Nintendo and Sega, they continue to play games and normalize gaming as a way to pass their time and as a hobby. And you know what, in terms of where in the world, Asia actually has the biggest gaming market with 1.6 billion players. China actually has the largest number of gamers with over 742 million gamers. Yep, and globally, the male to female gamer ratio is close to 50-50. We did mention that before, so we're hoping it will always be balanced from now on. Yes. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, Player One, destroying gamer stereotypes and hopefully left you feeling positive about gaming's bright future and inclusive community. New episodes of Gaming History Club are released every second Wednesday, so make sure you subscribe and follow us on our social media. Say hi to us by visiting our website, gaminghistory.club, and let us know what topics you'd like to hear. You can also share whatever video game stories that you have, so... We're really looking forward to hear from you. Yeah, just come and say hello. We're cool, we're chill, we'll definitely reply. We want to see who you are, what you do, what you enjoy. Come back in a couple of weeks, player one, as we enter a new dimension. Mm-hmm.